Well, uh, that escalated quickly. Good morning. It's about uh, 9.20 a.m. Pacific time. It's almost 9 p.m. on August 26th in Kabul, Afghanistan. And it, it went sideways today as predicted. And we'll talk about it. I'll give you an update depending upon when you listen to this episode. Whatever numbers are being reported when I record this will have changed and not for the better. But yeah, it it was something I talked about. It was something that was actually not only predicted, but imminent last night in a release from the embassy in Kabul, the U.S. embassy in Kabul, which is operating not from the embassy, the actual location in Kabul, but from Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul, the Kabul airport where everyone's supposedly safe and not anymore, they released, the embassy released, that Americans needed to get the hell out of that area to get away from the airport that a terrorist attack was imminent. And this, of course, was speculated to be from ISIS-K. I'm going to talk about who they are uh, a little bit, why the Taliban hates them, the fact that they do should be helpful, but I'm not totally sure if ISIS-K is a tolerable enemy right now with the U.S. still on the ground in Afghanistan. But that attack happened in the form of two homicide bombs. They weren't detonated in sequence, which is how they do this, right? They 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 separate them a little bit so that they can cr- create chaos during the response to the first bomb. One, the second bomb was near a hotel where the United Kingdom has been actively processing its citizens and refugees for exfil from Kabul airport. These are highly populated areas. There were still a few thousand Afghanis and now being reported potentially Americans outside the airport gates. Because you imagine these warnings came out last night. If you made your way as an American trying to get the hell out of this shithole, that President Biden created. Are you going to walk away? You've made it all that way. You finally got to the gate. You got to the fence line. You're talking to U.S. soldiers, right? You're hearing accents from places like Texas or Massachusetts. You're so close. And then this warning comes out of a threat. Where the hell are you supposed to go? Go back to where you came from? How can you guarantee you can get there? Is there even a place to go back to? So I don't know if this warning was effective enough to get Americans out of harm's way. It certainly didn't get a lot of people out of harm's way. It's already being reported that three Marines have been injured. And only per Russia, there's a current death toll of 13. No specifics about where those people are from, who they are. I've seen some video clips on Twitter. They're extremely graphic. They're upsetting. And it's clear there are children killed. There are bodies. And it looks to be more than 13. And if you see the videos of the actual explosions, you know, because there are live feeds on that airport in Kabul 24-7 right now. I saw one that looked significantly worse than the pressure cooker bomb explosion during the Boston Marathon years ago. It was a massive Explosion, And this was from a few miles away, the video footage. And the shockwave rocked, absolutely rocked 
the camera and the individuals standing on the top of that building filming the area where the explosion was detonated. It was absolutely heart-wrenching to think of how many people were killed and injured when you watched the explosion. It's a massive mushroom cloud. This is a big bomb. And what they're saying right now, this is a highly coordinated attack, and the attack is not over. This is something that will systematically take place, is being planned, is being adjusted by ISIS-K as the hours go by. This was too good of an opportunity for them. With the Americans still on the ground, with troops actively leaving, some 500 American troops have left in the last 24 hours. So the force that was 6,000 is now about 5,500. So while these planes are not only taking refugees and a few Americans out, they're also taking troops out. So that optic is an easy opportunity for ISIS and the other terrorists to make it look like they are a part of pushing the troops out. They are actively being a part of the retreat and can use that propaganda to recruit. And this is exactly what the Taliban did when they made their move towards Kabul and swept across Afghanistan almost unopposed a little over a week ago, about 10 days ago. It's the same optic that they want to leverage. And now instead of the Taliban, it's ISIS-K. Is it me? And, and it's well known. Anybody who talks about the Taliban and ISIS-K, they are mortal enemies. Apparently, they hate each other as much as they hate Americans. I'm not sure I buy that. Um, because they're Islamists at the core. They share that, right? I don't think they look at each other as infidels. I think it's a power struggle, which is going to happen within the Taliban anyway. I've been doing a little more research. I haven't read about the Taliban in years, but right now the current Taliban is an alliance of many tribes. So all these figureheads, these leaders you see in the press conferences, the one that the spokesperson who was interviewed yesterday who said Osama bin Laden is likely not behind the 9-11 attacks, the guy was asked a few times and this, this clown said, no, no, there's no proof. We've had 20 years. So these individuals that are supposedly going to do right by women and make it easier for Americans to get out of the country are telling American reporters that Osama bin Laden was not behind the 9-11 attacks. But they're supposedly wanting a new era and a better era for Afghanistan. I don't buy it. They will walk the line. They will stay close to what they can make look good only because if they have control of this country, they want access to money from foreign aid right, from foreign investment. And if they become a failed nation, a failed state, that money's cut off. Nobody's going to help them. So whatever they're saying now is an effort to somehow get paid and try to keep, keep their people happy. It's going to start sounding like a very destitute, poor version of Saudi Arabia, where you have the Sauds, the royal family, living in the lap of luxury, sitting on oil wealth that they never could have imagined decades ago before oil was the leading export of the Middle East and Saudi Arabia specifically, their top two escort exports were figs and dates. I don't know who their top two escorts were. That takes a little more research. They got a lot of those too. The royal family does. But the top two exports were figs and dates, right? These, these guys were barely living in the 19th century when they stumbled upon the most important natural resource to the planet then and today, and for the foreseeable future. Sorry, just a fact. So 
Now we've got a poor version of Saudi Arabia, but what's worse is the leadership are fanatical Islamists. Saudi Arabia's problem, that's the reason they kicked us out of there, we no longer have a base there, is their populace is a is mostly follower, follow, mostly are followers of the Wahhabi sect of Islam, which is essentially what ISIS-K, the Taliban, and Al-Qaeda follow, right? ISIS being the most extreme, Al-Qaeda and Taliban not too far behind. So you have all these people who have turned to this interpretation of Islam, which is un- unfortunately very common globally. And at the same time, their leadership is extremely wealthy and has to keep them at bay. That's why they. That's why the Sauds, the royal family in Saudi Arabia, tossed us. Because it was just one of those appeasement deals to the people. Because all they care about, and I've heard this directly in a presentation from a member of the Saud royal family. They're only... They've only ever been allies with the United States because we are number one. And their number one goal, the Saud family, the rich, wealthy Saudi family, is to stay in power. So by being a friend of ours, or at least a somewhat frenemy and having relations, that is good for them because we are number one. Believe me, as soon as we fall a distant number two to someone like China, if that happens, we're going to start losing our, our impact, if we have any, with Saudi Arabia. So now Afghanistan has the whole country, leadership included, as extremists. So it's worse and they're poor, right? The only thing is poor people need money, maybe in some fantasy world in the future where I hope Afghanistan can stabilize, they find some hybrid. But that's never happened, never happened with Islamists. And I don't see it happening in this case. But I'm watching the live news right now. Like I said, it's 9.32 Pacific time, August 26th. And... Um, you know, the numbers are still what they are. The White House, uh, Jen Psaki was going to do a press conference, but they postponed. There's just absolutely not much information to go off of. The Pentagon right now is supposedly talking. Um, I don't see any news alerts. Uh, I was trying to wait to do the podcast after Kirby came out and tried to make some sense of this. But right now, the really diplomatically... And politically, which is what the Biden administration cares about most, politically, this is a nightmare, right? Their actions and their inaction has led to mass casualties in the form of a terror attack outside, right on the border of Kabul airport. And gunfire broke out after the first explosion. No one knows if that's allied troops, if that's the Taliban firing at somebody, if those were terrorists moving in. After the shock and awe of the explosion, when everyone's ears are ringing and no one no one has any idea where they are and everyone's disoriented, that's another tactic. A couple guys roll in unobstructed and start firing into the crowd. One explosion's never enough. Two rarely is. This, I think, at a minimum, will be a daily occurrence, right? So as the sun has set in Kabul, as maybe the psychopath... Islamists, ISIS-K, have closed down, gone and completed their evening prayer, there's potentially a break overnight, potentially. But um, right now, the, you know, the State Department is scrambling, right? There, I've heard so many different numbers of Americans behind enemy lines, Americans who are trapped and stranded outside of the airport. And, um, you know, went from 15,000. Now we've got about 6,000 out, maybe 5,000 Americans are out. 
And the last time I heard a number from the Pentagon or the State Department was around 1,500 are left. Then I heard 150. They just have no idea. And I was wrong about something I talked about yesterday where they're, one of the excuses, and we're going to talk about the spin that's happening right now. It's really psychotic and it's concerning. The first was, well, we don't know where people are because they don't always register or deregister with the embassy when they enter or leave Afghanistan. And I kind of dismiss that because I know that's the case with many embassies. The problem is, this isn't, this isn't the U.S. embassy in France or Germany, right? Not the same thing. This is Afghanistan. And from what I'm reading, people are pretty damn diligent about registering and deregistering as being in country or not in country. So to use that as an excuse is very concerning. I don't think people know where, I think they know who is registered in there. They have an idea based on passports and green cards who's left. But they just don't want to talk about how many Americans are in the wind where they have no solid location on any of them and limited communication. And the problem is every 12 hours, there seems to be a shift in messaging from the State Department. Come to the airport, we'll get you out, get here, call us, which is what Biden said, versus now with terror attacks, right? We played right into their hands. Telling Americans to come to the airport is telling ISIS-K the precise choke point from which from where they can launch an attack, an effective one. And we just saw the first coordinated attack to explosions. Um, I would love for this to be the end of it, that maybe ISIS-K, who's a small, was a small unit out in eastern Afghanistan, they said was about 300 people. Who knows how many recruits they've picked up, right? How many guys who left the Afghan army who weren't really into it, just getting a paycheck, jumped right over trying to align themselves with something powerful and probably not too into being a part of the Taliban or don't have a place, right? The Taliban's big, already has its people picked, its tribes are going to decide who gets to lead what. ISIS-K is your other option. I mean, you're an Islamist anyway, right? So pick your poison. And, and I'm not sure how hard the Taliban is pushing back on ISIS-K right now. I don't, I don't dispute that they dislike them, maybe even hate them. But the Taliban hates us right? They're just much better at the political game than they were 20 years ago. So they're going to say everything bad we want and hope them to say about ISIS-K. But deep down, are they enjoying this? Because ISIS-K is providing the lightning rod for all of this. The Taliban, who has people amongst them who would love to work with al-Qaeda and lead massive suicide, homicide bomb attacks, and God knows what else, they have, they have ISIS-K to do it. And ISIS-K is doing it independently. I don't believe there's any coordination or communication ahead of time. I mean, the Taliban leadership knows they're, they're fine. So if they lose a few soldiers, al-Akbar, I mean, they're martyrs. That's how this game is for them, right? Of course, not for the leaders, right? Not for bin Laden, right? They're kind of like liberals that way. They'll teach and tell you how to live your life and how specifically to die without ever having interest in doing it themselves. So it's an interesting parallel there. I hadn't really thought about that until now, but maybe that's taking it too far. I don't know. I mean, yeah, apples and oranges, but they're both fruit. So I, you know, I just watched this and I go, is ISIS-K really a big problem right now for the Taliban? The Taliban can let them do their thing for a little bit. 
until we are gone, whenever that is. And I'd be shocked, like I said yesterday, if that's August 31st still. But they're going to tolerate them until we're gone. Let them do the dirty work and then probably try to crack down on them and get control of the country and make it their own version of Sharia law. So no matter who wins that battle, that civil war, it sucks for women. It sucks for freedom-loving people. It sucks for the individuals, American citizens and otherwise, who we left behind. We're talking about the translators and the people that really helped us make progress there. Yeah, we were there too long, but there was an Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, there isn't now, right? It's the Islamic emirate of afghanistan so it's a it's a totally different country we lost we retreated now we have guys on the ground trying to put a band-aid on this these poor 5500 active duty military um already are taking a hit and i do not believe only three marines were hurt if what i'm seeing i mean there's new footage coming out from the chaos from people trying to render aid to the victims of these two explosions and it's just it would be surprising to me. Let's pray that no Americans were killed. And it's getting likely that we're not getting out of there without losing American lives, military or otherwise. It's a very, very sad day. And it's maddening because this was absolutely preventable. This was simple to prevent. The Taliban was not going to fight U.S. troops who were staying on the ground, small security force or otherwise. And so this, this is a huge, huge indication of what our liberal friends did to us and to people abroad. And now you have an entire vacuum of security concerns with our allies. Today, Biden is supposedly meeting with the new prime minister of Israel, who is probably, by Israeli standards at least, a leftist because they got rid of Bibi Netanyahu. Boy, I bet they wish they had him back. That's another one. If Israel had their election today, Netanyahu would win. And they they got him... They got him on some corruption deal. I never found anything that was lock, stock, barrel uh, painted to him, but he'd been there a long time. And I think Israel, even Israel, even the Israelis in the Middle East, in Israel, have gotten a little soft. And this, for them, I hope, is a bit of a reminder to what may happen. They, they know better. And the Taliban now owns a country, has a place where their own jihadi allies could come safely and train and do God knows what when they leave, right? Imagine they have a home base now, a safe haven for Al-Qaeda camps, experts to train you on how to inflict the most damage on the infidel, which is the Israelis and everybody else, us included. So things are definitely more dangerous for Americans abroad, certainly. I mean, not just in Afghanistan, but in Europe, in other parts of the Middle East, and now here. It's not. We're talking days, maybe a couple weeks before someone who's already been exfilled from Afghanistan posing as a refugee could be on a mission right now. They released hundreds from a prison in Kandahar, I believe, who were suspected terrorists who had been convicted of committing acts of terror or harboring terrorists or aiding and abetting terrorists. All those guys are out, walked, free. How many joined ISIS-K? How many join the Taliban? I don't think it's a tough application process over there right now. If you can shoot, you're probably on whatever team you want to be on. And so this is, uh, this is going to get worse. I hate saying that every day. I can't wait till I know I can say or feel it's going to get better. Um, various Republicans are now stepping up. I'm excited to see that 
calls for resignation are coming from people that aren't on the fringe of the right. Not that I'm not, but, you know, Representative Stefanik and others are coming out and saying, hey, this is this is Biden's time to step down. What's horrifying is nobody has. We have the same intelligence directors. We have the same leaders of the military, the secretary of defense, the same national security advisor. I, I mean, come on. Based on the exfiltration alone, the withdrawal alone, and how botched that was, somebody should have stepped down by now. This is unprecedented. And this is worse than Saigon. Okay, this is worse now. That's the new mantra. And I hate to, hate to repeat it, but there are 5,200 troops now. That's the count I see up on the feed. Still at Kabul Airport. We just sent 500 home. I think that should stop. I think it's very disheartening for anyone, especially Americans who are trapped, who are stranded, seeing news feeds, whatever they can see, that troops have left. Not one, not two, not 200 should leave at this point. That needs to stop. The withdrawal needs to stop. The bullshit August 31st date needs to go away. And whenever the press conference happens today, Jen Psaki, that which needs to be straight up, whether it's Peter Ducey or someone else asking and say, hey, yeah, we're not, we're not worried about a deadline anymore. We're not worried about our political fucking capital anymore. The shift in focus has been and will be and must be getting everyone out, every American and as many allies, as many friends to America as we can while this chaos continues. And furthermore, how many of these military uh, studs that we have, I guarantee you of that 5,200, we have hundreds of special forces itching to get outside that gate and rescue people and kill some Taliban and kill some ISIS and kill, hey, you, Islamist, boom, boom. Light them up. Start fighting back a little bit and getting people out actively, not waiting for them to get to this gate, one of these gates, which is an absolute nightmare just from a personnel standpoint, just with the, with the, the dirt and the sewage. If you see videos they're referring to it as a canal. It looks like a moat outside the gate, and people are standing in it. It's human sewage. So the humanitarian disaster is well underway. The plumbing's backed up. Things are. This area is not meant to house or harbor thousands of people. So thousands and thousands of people have been to this airport and standing around. They're going to the bathroom somewhere, right? They're trying to find water somewhere. You know, I mean, at some point... There's going to be, if COVID's real, right? I mean, I don't know what the vaccine percentages were in Afghanistan before this hat hit. And of course, they're, everyone's on the press is going nuts about how vaccinations have come to a halt. No shit. People are worried about bombs. People are getting blown up. I mean, that'll cure your ass of COVID if you're vaporized in a homicide bomb. But it, it, this is, I mean, this is a viral viral uh, nest that's occurring there with all these people wading through it. I mean, COVID's just one of the many bacterias or viruses amongst all the other bacterias that are going to be spread rampantly while this continues. So the house is burning 
and uh, we have troops standing outside the house wondering what the hell am I doing? 5,200 of them. I mean, they're, they're trying to get planes off the ground still, but I can tell you nobody's getting into that airport right now. They've shut it down. Those gates are closed. They're barricaded, right? I mean, they are, they are planning for anything from a defense posture at that base and at that airport, and it's not getting better anytime soon. You know, ISIS-K is um, really loving this. And, you know, this is the Khorasan branch of the Islamic State, okay? Khorasan is the province where they're from. And these guys are basically a formed, uh, they were formed after a faction within the Taliban. um, And they splintered and pledged allegiance to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. And this all happened in October 2014. Pretty sure that fucker's dead. I think Trump killed him. And, uh, but ISIS still remains. And they, in Afghanistan, they were out of the firing line from our operations in Syria and Iraq. So they were surviving. And now they have a presence in the place to be. This is the place to be if you're a jihadi. You, you can get some great press going there and killing somebody and causing chaos because you can say you were a part when you recruit more you were a part of the u.s retreat and withdrawal and driving the infidel from the homeland that is what they're going to say cnn's front page had to change they they had to cover this um as best they could now they have um you look at their headline right now explosions near kabul airport right I'm surprised they're not talking about dangerous bombs as if the bombs themselves, like guns, committed the atrocities. But these random explosions, I do not see one mention. So I just noticed this. Not one mention of ISIS-K on CNN's homepage. That is absolutely deliberate, right? Because one thing many of us know, Trump hammered ISIS, put them away, and now... The guy that supposedly beat him, the guy that supposedly got 81 million votes, has created a scenario, has fucked up so bad that ISIS is on the rebound in Afghanistan. Put a K, put a Z at the end of it, doesn't matter. It's ISIS. And I cannot see, and I'm looking, it's right in front of me. I cannot see one one mention of ISIS-K. That's incredible. Oh, here we go. Analysis. There's an analysis. One buried little line. Grave ISIS terror threat hangs over frantic withdrawal. And I think that was from yesterday. They got a who's who's in the Taliban. But what's interesting is you'd think the feature story would take up the majority of the page. At the top, it says explosions near Kabul airport. But CNN can't help themselves. They got an Illinois mandate for vaccines. Right. That's plastered almost as big as the live updates from Kabul. And then not smaller, so the same size as the Illinois COVID update, is a story with Linwood and Sidney Powell, those two, uh, judge sanctions pro-Trump lawyers who brought frivolous election lawsuits. So, so they found a judge in Michigan to sanction these guys. I don't know what, what's going to happen. Um, that's not remotely the interesting part of the 2020 election story. And there is some news there. Um, and I'll make sure I put that in the description of today's episode because I want to get to that. Um, and I will, but CNN is, they're struggling, right? This is, I I was thinking last night and I was okay with it because Biden has shown enough 
to enough people, in my opinion, and continue will to to and will continue to do that, that I don't think he has a chance of being reelected if he even makes it to reelection, physically, emotionally, or mentally. But my thought was, if if whatever the deadline is, whenever we're finally out of there, and even if he ends up leaving some troops behind for a security perimeter, which I just don't think he can do now. There's no way really to safely operate from. But if he got everybody out alive, if there were no serious, you know, no U.S. casualties or deaths, then I think he could have moved on from it, limped, and been scarred. His political capital would have been hurt forever. But he could have, with the media, I mean, remember, they're going to help him. They take, they take their marching orders from the Democrat sitting president. Thought he could rebound. I really did. Um, now he can't. He just he just botched it too bad. This got out of hand for too long that it's going to linger. And with terrorist, terrorism and terrorists, lingering is never good. Staying in one place is what you don't do, right? There's a reason when you work in the intelligence world, you take different routes home. You take different routes to work. You don't linger in one area when you're in a hostile area. You become what they say a sitting duck. That's what Kabul Airport is. That's what that gate is. That that's what any poor person is outside of that airport. And so CNN, CNN is trying to get through this. They're going to do the basic reporting. They know it's. A, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible thing. They have to report it. And I'm not saying they don't want to, but they're not going to be able to help themselves. You will never see a CNN front page without something attacking Trump. There's some visual always. There will always be something. And if you see the sanction story about Powell and Wood. It's a picture of Linwood wearing a Make America Great hat. That is all. They have digital marketing people, their social media team, which is, you can imagine, the youngest, most hip hipster leftists right out of Silicon Valley. They're not stupid. They study this. They've focus grouped this. They've researched exactly what people remember and what people take away. They interview when they do the research, and they know no matter what they do, there has to be some kind of anti-Trump reminder for their base, for the Democrat base, on that front page. Not only to try to sway people's thoughts and feelings on the main story, but also to appease their followers who are going nuts right now. You should see them on Twitter. I think I mentioned this yesterday. They can't stand CNN being one little bit objective on anything going on. Making any remote criticism of Biden or his team. They, they've never seen this. No matter what they've seen in recent years, there's always a safe space on CNN, MSNBC, and the others like Huffington, Puffington Post. There's always a safe space for the liberal. They can always go to these, air quotes, news outlets and count on being comforted and being reminded that they're not nutcases, that they're not suffering from anything like Trump derangement syndrome, and that when you come to CNN, you can be reminded that you're actually smarter than everyone and by viewing CNN and by viewing MSNBC, you're really concerned with what is real news, not that shit that the hayseeds and the idiots care about over on Fox. Come to CNN for the real news. Come to CNN for the informed analysis because you are not a white supremacist. You are absolutely not. And boy, that is going to be a tough sell. Our own military, our own joint chairman, joint chiefs of staff chairman, not too long ago was talking about his concern and, and the main threat being white rage. What an idiot. What an absolute moron to come out and talk about white rage when now 
we're getting a heavy reminder of what the real global threat to everyone is with regard to terrorism. It ain't white nationalism. It ain't white supremacy. Bad things, of course. We're not stupid. We're not either of those things, and we don't ever want to be or associate with anyone who is. But they can't help themselves. That's not good enough for us to say that. It said, well, if you're this, meaning if you're with Trump, you're just as bad, or you are that. That's always there. They try to make it subtle in the press, not so subtle when you get to social media. Now everyone looks pretty stupid, right? Now the military is getting what it deserves, the military leadership, because they miss this one. And there are constant, I mean, there were quotes for months about critical race theory, white nationalism, their Taliban versus our Taliban, meaning Trump supporters. That is burning these guys. It looks so stupid, not only to us, but their own troops. The morale has to be terrible within the ranks of the military right now. And I hope it gets better for them. I don't see it getting better until we have a major Trump-like victory and a cleansing from top to bottom, both in the actual higher command structure of the military, especially on the policy side, and the Secretary of Defense's office. That has to happen, and it has to be aggressive. It can't be last time where Trump was kind of not not sure he was going to win until the last minute and finds out, wow, I got to put a staff together. And he had too many holdovers, too many in the CIA, too many in the FBI. Too many on the White House staff. That's why they hadn't. They couldn't have one private conversation in those four years. That can't be the case anymore. It can't be. Has to fix that. No matter who wins, you can't have any of these holdovers. They're deep staters. And yeah, he drained the swamp. A lot were, many were exposed. But it's like a virus. If you don't kill it all, it's going to come back. Um, moving on to COVID news. My God, the the governor of Oregon yesterday came out. This is the bisexual female governor of Oregon. And I'm going to look her up here. I forgot to cue her name. Kate Brown. God, you see a picture of her. She just looks like a dim-witted fuckhead. I mean, just, just the picture when you Google this witch from, from whenever and the smile on her face. I mean, this looks like a psychotic, imbalanced individual. Well, Kate Brown, who is loving the power she has, this is a bisexual, self-identified woman married to a man. I mean, if you saw her wedding, it's a wedding between a man and a woman. Yet she knew what button to push when she ran and won in 2015. And that was to be one of the alphabet people. Because in Oregon, that matters most. Shouldn't now, but in 2015, it certainly did. And so she identified as bisexual, which from a political standpoint, is pretty brilliant. That's pretty brilliant. I, I mean, know your audience. Know how far left wacko your voting base, especially the Democrat voting base, and independent in Oregon. They're off the reservation. They get excited about these things. They think that diversity in and of itself makes you better. Sorry, it doesn't. I'm not talking about diversity of experience because I do think that makes you better. And maybe your nationality, your religion, your sexual orientation has given you unique experiences. And that's the case with many people. That I'm interested in hearing about. That to me is diversity. But how you were born or basically what box you check on a survey is really uninteresting to me, especially from the sexual orientation standpoint. I could care less. There's nothing more boring nowadays 
than who someone prefers to sleep with. It, it doesn't define your character, nor should it. We wanted it to be boring. Anybody who wanted equal rights, gay rights, should have wanted being gay to be boring and uninteresting. Because being straight as a quality is boring and uninteresting. Who cares? What results are you driving? Well, Oregon fucked that decision up. They elected Kate Brown. And Kate Brown, like governors from states like Pennsylvania, like Michigan, like California, hopefully not for long, have really enjoyed the power that COVID has given them. And this, this is interesting about masks because the University of Waterloo just released a very detailed study. They used mannequins. They, they got very deep in the ventilation and effects of masking when spreading droplets. Other than the N95 mask, I'm paraphrasing, but this, this is the conclusion. If you're not wearing an N95 fitted mask, and that's a very specific way to wear them, you're wasting your time. Cloth, surgical, or otherwise. Those masks had a protection value of around 9 to 12%, meaning 90% of what's in the air passes through those cloth and surgical masks like nothing. Ventilation means everything. That's why flights, the airlines who have upped their ventilation during the COVID period, which is great for long term, one of the few benefits we'll have whenever we get out of it. Don't get me started because I'm not sure where we're going to be totally out of it. I don't think we are actually, but there has been a ventilation upgrade on flights. That's what matters more, not these stupid masks. Well, the masks are the perfect power play. It's covering people's mouths. I think these individuals, someone who politically believes what Kate Brown is on record believing has mental issues, right? You add Trump derangement syndrome, which this lady must suffer from in a horrifying way. They're going to go off the reservation. They're going to be psychopaths about their power. So effective Friday, tomorrow, in Oregon, masks will be required in most public outdoor settings, including large outdoor events where physical distancing is not possible. And here it is, regardless of vaccination status. Kate was interviewed about this yesterday, and she without hesitation, tried to dance it a little bit, but told the reporter that she wants people calling the police on their neighbors if they see them without a mask. (laughs) She said, if you have people over, even if you're outside, even if you're all vaccinated, you should be wearing a mask. This is a step in a direction that even surprised me. Kate Brown, I guess, wasn't getting enough press. Things were getting boring. She wanted to get in on the COVID flexing with her, her big boss man, President Houseplant, and of course they talk about the Delta variant and how it's dramatically increased the amount of virus in our communities. Run for the hills whenever a Democrat says the word community. It means you better fucking toe the line for what we say because community is their secret word for follow our rules. This is our world. Watch out. It's almost as dangerous as when they start talking about justice. Again, get out of the room. When you hear the word justice from a liberal, it doesn't mean justice. Don't go Googling it. You know what it means. It means we're looking for a way to punish you for disagreeing with us. And so Kate Brown's doing her thing. The Illinois governor's looking like a complete idiot without a mask, walking around his press briefing yesterday, basically saying the same thing. Our boy in Texas, Governor Abbott, signing 
trying to fight back the school boards full of unionized liberal teachers mandating masks amongst kids. Abbott's doing his best. It's There's just no science, folks. There's no science protecting it. And guess what? There's a new variant. COVID-22. Delta was 21. COVID-22. So there have been now a couple big variants. There have been many mutations. I'm assuming there was a 20 before Delta 21. Now there's 22. But you look it up, the word variant mutation are used interchangeably. There have been many. There's been a gamma. There's been a beta. So COVID-22 is out. At the same time, and it's getting news because it's bad. Well, guess what? This Chinese lab virus is no joke. Okay? It's going to do its thing. And I don't know if vaccines, and I have one. I had got two shots of the Pfizer. I'm not sure if vaccines did anything but slow it down, like any other measures we took. And distancing and taking a break from each other for a month back when this hit made sense. The second month was a severe inconvenience. And when it went beyond that, it became weird. And it started looking stupid. And states like Florida and Texas and others finally opened back up. And we've stayed open in many of these states. California's tried, can't help themselves. They keep closing down, mandating But over time, you see less and less people wearing masks. Why is that? One, we're all starting to realize, vaccinated or not, we're probably going to get COVID. Okay? That's right. For those of you who think you're going to hold out longer, but still go places and do your thing, you're going to get COVID. What makes me even more annoyed, but what we're going to have to come grips with, that someone like me in his 40s will probably contract some form of COVID, COVID-19, some variant, 20 times in the rest of my life. Easy. Guys, it's not going away. Okay? The the pharma companies, the CEO of Pfizer just talked about a vaccine-resistant variant on the horizon. So that's not even COVID-22. Now that there's all this vaccine out there, it's like a bacteria to antibiotics. It's going to build a resistance because we certainly, some could argue, over-vaccinated. I mean, we've never, ever vaccinated like this um, in this these numbers. And so next will be a COVID resistant. Well, guess what he said? Not only are you getting a booster now if you're doing what you're told, um, which I'm due for. I'm not getting. I've decided. Now the guy comes out, the CEO of Pfizer, and said, don't worry. We'll have a vaccine for that resistant variant within three months. So this guy's financial forecast is solid. Pharma is solid. They are loving this. Guys, COVID's not going away. You're getting it. You're going to get it years from now after you get it now. And uh, I'm glad I got a vaccine. I got to think that my body's not going to see it totally novel, but I'm not I'm not getting any more. The second one made me feel like shit. I'm not interested in going through that. But it's time to get healthy. Your immune system's going to have to hammer with it the first time especially, and then you'll have natural antibodies if you get through it okay. Hopefully you don't lose your sense of smell or taste for too long. Hopefully the symptoms are mild, which most people experience. But boy, you talk to somebody who gets real sick from it, who didn't get the vaccine, they wish they had. Because it makes sense. You're going to do a little better or even significantly better. And there's data to support it if you're vaccinated. But it's your choice. And I can see the flip side being, hey, I'm going to get it anyway. Why go through the bullshit of not feeling good after the shot? More power to you. Just know you're going to get it. Just know we're not going to have some COVID-free life anytime soon, maybe not ever. 
I don't see it. It might morph into something we refer to like the flu, like influenza. There's COVID, you know, SARS COVID, and it goes around seasonally and it's no longer novel to us and people get sick. It all just depends on when everyone finally comes to that realization. The left doesn't want you to because they will lose control. Once you realize that getting COVID is imminent or eventually going to happen, the masks are going to come off and you're probably going to be less interested in getting vaccinated. And if you're vaccinated, you might just be less interested in getting a booster. Well, now what the hell do they have to make you do what they want you to do? They'll find something else. They always do. Who knows what they'll create? Who knows what they'll come up with? But they're going to be bastards about it either way. They're going to be condescending and they're going to have all the answers from the beginning, no matter how wrong they will be over any period of time, they will keep coming back and repeating things even after they tell you they follow science. But there's one thing about America we can depend on and we can count on is that Americans hate hypocrisy. We hate it. And I talked about the Spanish flu the other day. This, this, went, this happened in 1917, 1918 during the, flu, the Spanish flu pandemic. Masks were mandated. People were being shot for not wearing a mask in public. And overnight it all changed when one newspaper article with a big photo of the political elite, the wealthy elite at a boxing match, not wearing masks inside. We just had that moment. We've had a few. Nancy Pelosi's fundraiser, Gavin Newsom meeting at French Laundry. The list goes on and on. Chicago mayor going to get her haircut. We're tired of the hypocrisy. So these, these decrees from these statist leftist governors like Kate Brown and like the governor of Illinois are falling on more deaf ears as time goes by. And that's fantastic. It's time to stop doing what they tell you. It's time to really now hashtag resist because there's just no sense in it. And these people, these assholes don't follow their own rules, their own mandates. Why should we? We need to enjoy our lives, folks. We need to get back to it. We need to move somewhere if we have to where we can live our lives. The pictures of kids with masks on at school from this past week, little kids lining up, holding their hands out frozen to maintain distance while they walk down the hallway like zombies from a horror film, like mummies, mummified kids are walking down school hallways thinking this is what life is. They're behind a mask. For all these years, the left... The teachers' unions told us how kids need to express themselves, and there's some truth to that. How the hell do they express themselves when they're turned into fear-mongering robots? What kind of adults are we going to raise? What are these kids going to be willing to do when they grow up? Are they going to be brave? Are they going to be able to interact socially? Are they going to have any self-awareness? Their parents don't. Their, their mentors don't. Their teachers, their principals I mean, if you're in Oregon and you're going to school or Colorado or somewhere where they've got you locked down and walking through the the hallways, going to gym class like some mummified specimen, that's going to mess you up. I've seen it firsthand in different recreational activities where kids are afraid to take the mask off even when they are told to or asked to or told they can. You'd think children rip the mask off. No. These are forming brains, right? These are their formulative, formulative years. I say that right? I don't give a shit. Um, you know what I mean. And these are developing brains. This has scarred them for life. 
And if you can, get your kids out of these environments and away from these sick fucking people that are telling them to live in fear, that are telling them that they have to do what the government tells them. That's scary. And not to ask questions. That is what makes it even more scary. You look at Kate Brown. She represents the worst of the feminist elite snob, the effete snob. Just an, I mean, this is somebody who went to the Hillary Clinton charm school, okay? She's got the neck scarf. She's got the raised chin. She's got the look down her nose and down her glasses. And it's not just women who have that. There are plenty of men. Watch Don Lemon for five minutes. Just have a fucking barf bag. I guess that's not a great comparison. It's not a huge leap from Kate Brown. I mean, obviously. Chris Cuomo. (laughs) Jim Acosta. Any of them. They look down at you. Any way they can. And these these kids are in big trouble. Kamala Harris is one of them. She loves looking down that big honker of hers at anybody. And loves to giggle. To protect herself from any awkward moments. Therein by creating the most awkward moment when questioned about Afghanistan. She's in Vietnam today. Vietnam. (laughs) The irony is too much. I'm sorry, but like, didn't somebody foresee the problem with the vice president of the United States being anywhere near Saigon in Vietnam during this crisis that maybe there would be a moment or a few moments where the Saigon-Kabul comparison would continue? And here she is, this tone-deaf, stunning and brave idiot saying, we won't leave Americans behind. While she stands in Vietnam where we left Americans behind. Bitch, who are you to say that? How can you claim that? You have no credibility. And she's over there talking about Kabul like it's a campaign event, which everything is for her. Miss Fantastic Fabulous. Distancing herself, but still mentioning it and being so tone deaf that she brings up not leaving Americans behind when she's in Vietnam. You can't write this stuff. You can't make it up. She, she, I mean, if you're the vice president for Joe Biden, you have an opportunity. You can look strong if you have any skill whatsoever. That's how much of a fuck up Kamala Harris is. That's what happens when you elect people who slept their way to the top, which she did. Ask the former mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown. He'll tell you. He's told people plenty of times. People all knew it. So that's who Kamala Harris is. She is an absolute contradiction of what everything feminism stands for. Wanting to be judged on merit, which is bullshit. The modern feminists have not wanted that for a long time. And neither does Kamala. Because Kamala's main accomplishments, when you hear about her getting elected was being a person of color, which is many colors depending on the audience she's speaking to, and being a woman, and getting elected to Senate. So there's really no accomplishment there other than being elected and being a woman of color. How did she earn the woman of color part? Like, why is that a trait people tout? When then you did a shitty job in the actual real job you have had as district attorney, I mean, she put more black people for minor crimes in jail than any white DA ever has. But the Democrats, they promote failures. They elected Joe Biden, one of the biggest failures in D.C. history, to President of the United States. And now Kamala's screwing up the political opportunity she has. That's how bad she is. 
That's why she couldn't make it out of Iowa during the primaries. And in California, a survey, a poll of likely voters during the Democrat primary, way back in 2020, early 2020, Kamala Harris only had support of 7% of Californians in the national primary. So her own state, where she was senator, where she came up, where she was a known name, even leftist California Democrats were like, mm, pass. We, we like the way she looks as our senator. That's what makes us feel good, right? That's why we elect people like Kate Brown and Kamala Harris, the looks, the feels. She doesn't send mean tweets. She knows what buttons to push, when to play what cards. That's what we want. But as president, nah, that's a different job. You think? She only got 7%. She's the VP. Why on God's green earth would they think, would the Biden team think they should go with her? They were stuck with a woman because Biden had an open mic and said, and then he actually said woman of color. So the list got pretty short. So they had to go with Kamala. The whole thing's just hilarious. Everybody knows, every feminist you know who pretends to love her and talks about her shoes knows why she's there. And she's fucking up. This is a huge opportunity for someone who's a VP. She could easily do better with this. Um, I've kept an eye, a corner eye. I'm trying to get better at looking at the live news feed from Fox, and it doesn't seem like anything has changed. I still see the same footage, daylight footage um, of casualties and people being rendered medical aid. So we know those aren't live because right now it is uh, well after 9 p.m. It's almost almost 10 p.m. in Kabul and it's dark. Um, some live feeds, see, just see a lot of emergency vehicles and I think people are just waiting for what's going to happen after sunup in Kabul, which will be this evening which will be horrible if what I think will happen, which will be another attack. No press conference that I've seen. If it happened while I was recording here, I missed it, but I kept an eye on it because I was thinking of pausing and going to it and giving the update. It's been almost an hour. If, As I always say, if there's something that needs to be addressed tonight, I will. I didn't get a chance to talk about what's happening in Arizona with the audit. There hasn't been any breaking news since I talked about the 197-page sample report, basically a report summarizing the massive amounts of data. I'm middle of the road on this. Um, the head of the Republican Party in Arizona thinks something good is going to come up from this. Who knows what that is? But also things are happening in Wisconsin and now Pennsylvania, which is pretty unbelievable. If you remember Doug Mastriano, that guy has sacrificed a lot politically um, to make an audit happen, which looks like it might in key counties, especially the county where Philadelphia is in Pennsylvania. I will talk about that maybe in a show later today, but I'll get that on the record. I'm going to do some more homework and get into it so that you guys don't have to because it's a bit annoying. I don't like to get my hopes up for anything, and I'm certainly not getting my hopes up for anything really measurable coming out of these audit audits, but it would be great to see something, something reported and validated that we talked about so many months ago. Until then, thank you for listening. Thanks for your support. I am on Twitter and Instagram now. Uh, both handles are Enemy Lines Radio. Would love to have you follow, providing updates there too. Just getting the Instagram count going, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day and God bless.